welcome everybody to another edition of the West Coast Preps Podcast, the Pedro Martinez edition of the West Coast Preps Podcast. That's the number we're at. I'm Chris Jackson, joined here by Gregory Morlantoon. We've got a special guest from my favorite city, not just in America, but the entire world, the entire universe, Coronado, the San Diego area with Coronado head football coach, Kurt Hines. Coach, how are you doing today, sir? Hi, I'm blessed. I appreciate you guys having me on. Our pleasure. It's, 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 it's funny, my wife and I moved out here just about five and a half years ago from New Hampshire. So uh, for years, I thought I hated winter. I was just in the wrong part of the world. You know, <laughs> winter is sunny, you know, 72 degrees and sunny in Coronado. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think there's much of a winter over there in Coronado. There's not. There's not. I'm, I'm okay with that. That's the dream retirement spot for uh, my fellow co-host, Chris Jackson. Oh, I, I think about Coronado at least five times a day, and that's not an exaggeration. That's fantastic. When, when's the last time you were out here or down here? I think we both went there, what, summer of 2018, July? I'm going back down yep. there this summer, though, so definitely trying to get back out there again soon. Very cool. You'll, you'll have to let me know if you are and uh, grab lunch or something. Oh, I definitely will. I'll let you know. I'll be there sometime in June or July. Sounds good. Perfect. We'll go to the boathouse. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. But I, yeah. First thing we've got for you, Coach, is how's the offseason going for you guys so far? I know it's different time period now than probably any other offseason anybody's ever experienced, but how's it going for you and the kids right now? Yeah, you know, it, it's going as well as can be expected. You know, this is my 23rd year going into my 23rd year coaching high school football, and, and obviously this is, this is new for all of us, players, coaches, parents, uh, teachers. Uh, we've only been going twice a week in Coronado, um, and just recently, we're allowed to start using a football. So that it was interesting to uh, train your players while keeping them six feet apart and, and not using a football or any equipment. Uh, but it's, it's going well. What, what we found is the, um, the attendance has been off the charts. You know, it's just proof to me that the young men and the young woman on our team uh, want to be out and active and need to be together doing things. So... The workouts are, uh, I can't wait till the day we're actually uh, just doing all football with, with, with no, no restrictions and then not trying to keep each other apart. But uh, it's going as well as can be expected. That's good. And then how are you helping the kids stay positive through all of this and the message that you're telling them through all of this pandemic and through the practices that you're just getting started? One, one of the things we've always kind of preached in our programs, and this is something I shared with my, my players back when I was a head coach in New Hampshire, was, you know, really two thoughts come to mind. One is control the controllables. And that's a lot easier said than done. You know, it was really kind of a wake-up call for me when all of this happened because as a coach, especially a head coach, you know, we have our practices, as I'm sure most programs do, scripted out to the minute. You know, this is how long we have for stretching. This is how long we have for special teams, for offense indies, D indies, whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden, everything's out of our control. We have other people telling us what's essential and whatnot. Um, I, not just telling our players to control what's controllable, um, but to practice what we preach, you know, and to bring the same energy when we show up to practice. And, you know, as soon as the players start hearing us complain about the conditions or the restrictions or what we can or cannot do, um, you know, we all know this, but our actions speak so much louder than, than the words we say. So I think one of the best ways to keep them positive is to be positive ourselves. And, you know, I asked our players several weeks ago, uh, right at the beginning of a practice, I said, what's, what's scarier, 
and not having a season. And they all kind of looked at me shaking their heads like nothing. I'm like, no. I said, what's scarier is having a season, but getting our teeth kicked in every Friday night because we didn't prepare as if we were going to have a season. I said, so with the unknown and with all the questions, we need to control the controllables and prepare the best we can. So if we are blessed with a season, then we'll be ready for it. Uh, so the first, the, that's the first part. The second part, I would say, is uh, something that's near and dear to me is just be where your feet are. You know, and we tell our players, you know, before this craziness with COVID, you know, happened years ago. Um, up onto the practice field, your girl's still going to be upset with you. She was upset with before practice. So let that go for now. Your parents will still be upset that your, your room's a mess. Your homework will still be there. But while you're there on the football field, be where your feet are. And, and I think that's a powerful lesson for all of us. You know, when I'm with my wife, be with my wife. Because the things I need to do for school or for football or whatever, those will be there when our date night is over. Um, so just to be where your feet are and just to be in that moment. Because when I'm on the football field with my players, I'm not worried about anything else that's going on in the world. And it's not diminishing or demoralizing or downplaying all that's happening with what we saw in the news yesterday and everything else. That stuff's real. But I think there's power in being where your feet are and just being present, being in the moment. You've got such an extensive background working with kids, student athletes, and teaching. We'll get into more of that here in a little bit. But originally, what first got you into working with kids? Yeah, I, the money. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I, I knew years ago my, my modeling career was not going to take off. So, uh, no, I, I, I was fortunate enough growing up that uh, my high school football coach owned a daycare center about 200 yards from my house. So as far back as being a sophomore, I think it was in high school, I started working at a daycare center. And, and I had a passion for working with kids. Um, very quickly, you know, became aware of the fact that I wanted to teach elementary school. Uh, it wasn't until my senior year in college that a professor asked a buddy of mine and I to coach a special needs flag football team that uh, I never thought about coaching. So we volunteered for that. And the first day, I remember tossing a football underhand to, to a, a girl, probably sixth grade or so with Down syndrome, who dropped it probably about the first 10 times. And we were like five feet apart from each other. Uh, we were social distancing before it was cool. Um, but we were uh, not cool. But we, um, I remember the, the 11th time, whatever it was, that first time that she caught that underhand toss, her eyes just lit up. And I don't, for whatever reason, because I played football from second grade through college um for whatever reason that was the first aha moment for me where I was like dang like I want to do that like if I can marry those two of, of passion for people and football and life together um so that kind of started the the ball rolling in my mind so my wife and I were married real early 22 years old we got married and started raising a family uh I think it was my third or fourth year teaching elementary school I reached out to the local high school head coach in New Hampshire and was willing to do whatever, you know, I wasn't looking for a paid position, wasn't looking for a coordinator position by any stretch of the imagination. And it just so happened that they needed a, they had a coaching position open for a head freshman coach. So it was kind of baptism by fire. Uh, I was a freshman coach for seven years and two of those years I had no assistance, um, which gosh, I look back and now on that now and what a disservice we did to the young men in the program. But uh, I learned so much by, by doing so much wrong and then having a good mentor, a great mentor coach kind of guide me along the way. Um, 
And now, as I mentioned at the point now, going into my 23rd year coaching and, and love absolutely everything about it. And then I also want to go into, you worked with the Special Olympics and you mentioned the moment that you really wanted to work with kids. How much did you enjoy that experiment and how much did that elevate your passion for, for your career as well? Yeah, I, I've always, uh, without getting on a soapbox, yeah, I, I believe we all have a why in life. You know, why the two of you are doing this podcast, why we are the men we are, why people are the women they are, whatever it is. Um, my why for life, I feel like my calling is to empower as many people as I can. And I love teaching, but the students in my class have to be there. You know, it, by, by law in the United States, you have to have some type of formal education, whether it's in the public school, private school, homeschooling, whatever it is. Um, and I love teaching. I love the connection and, and the relationships we build. However, with coaching, they don't have to play a sport. You know, I, I realize every so often some parents might say, hey, you have to play a sport, to, you know, but I have a biased opinion. I, I think there are a lot less painful sports out there than football for someone to play if they're not passionate about it. Um, with, with coaching football, I realize we have a platform as coaches to really change some lives for the better. You know, one of my biggest pet peeves is always when, when you hear the people say, you know, sports build character. No, they don't. Sports don't build character, not, not by themselves. You know, when coaches intentionally model and teach character, then they build character. But I realize we have a captive audience with our players where some of them come from great families and are told that they're loved all the time. And some of them never hear and everything in between. So I, I truly believe that if we go into coaching and I'm talking about off season, preseason, workouts, games, you, you name it, everything, um, understanding that the, the, the opportunity we have to change lives then it doesn't matter if we're winning championship rings or not. We're, we're making a difference in people's lives. And for me, that's what it's all about. And going more off that, coaching's a lot more than just the X's and O's and the scoreboard, right? If Whether you win 21-14, you lose 21-14, whatever it is. But what do you think is the most important things or the most or the most important thing just as a coach, especially at the high school level? Relationships is my word, one word answer. And I'll elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, you have to know your job. You have to know your trade. You know, it, it's, I think certain coaches get turned off when you talk about character and culture and loving people because some coaches don't believe that. And they believe it's just X's nose. And sometimes they're blessed with amazing athletes and they win a lot. And they think that that's what it's all about. Uh, we have to know the sport we coach, you know, it, to keep our jobs, to, have our players buy into what we're selling, you know, that they have to believe and understand that we know what we're talking about. Um, but that being said, the, the, the world is overpopulated in my opinion with coaches that know their sport, but don't understand the platform or don't understand the power of the platform. Um, relationships for me is what it's all about. You know, it's just the whole reason I wanted to get into teaching was I had a seventh grade math teacher who would sit on the corner of his desk at the beginning of every class and talk to us just as people, not as math students, not as mathematicians. And I was a horrible math student, but I remember in seventh grade thinking to myself, this guy cares, like he really cares about me. So when I enter the classroom with my fourth graders and when I go onto the football field or the weight room with my high school student athletes, it's the same thing and there's no hidden agenda. I truly believe that if they know I love them, whether they are a stud that might go D1 or at best be a third string JV kid who will never see the varsity field. If they, if all the players see and coaches see me pouring into them the same, 
not because they can pad my resume or help me move to some next level, but just because of who they are as people. I think that really, that there's a lot of magic to that. And how much can that benefit those kids just showing that you care, love them and giving that same attention, not just for the next five, six months you're working with them as players, but for the rest of their lives. And as they go into raising families, careers and whatnot. Yeah, it's, Great question. I, I don't know if I can put into words just how much I think that 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 does. You know, it's just I think we were all lied to as kids. You know, I, obviously I'm older than the two of you, but you know, name, names can't hurt you. Names can hurt. Names, words do have power. There's tremendous power in words, and I think that when we use our words and we marry those words with our actions in ways that show we love people, not just telling them. I end every practice every time I'm with a player by themselves or with my whole team say, I love you guys. And, and, and they understand that. They understand that my love for my wife and my children and grandchildren is different, but it's not any less powerful. You know, so, so when I tell them I love them, um, I, I, I think one of the greatest things in coaching is when you have, uh, it's easier, I won't say easy, but it's easier to coach that stud athlete who you never hear from the teachers about being disrespectful. They always show up on time. They're, they're yes coach, no coach. And they don't say it dismissively, but they just want to absorb everything you're, you're teaching them. Um, and that's a lot of fun. But, but I also love the challenge when you have the player that you look at, looks like a baby giraffe trying to walk for the first time, can barely put their helmet on straight. And maybe has that chip on their shoulder, whether they come from a loving household or not, you know there's so much more baggage they bring with them. I love that challenge of saying, hey, how can we reach them? Matter of fact, just, uh, just a few, about an hour ago, I got a, an email from my athletic director and she said, hey, I want to let you know, so-and-so, one of my players, obviously I won't say his name, um, really showed some great uh, self-control in, in, in a Zoom class we had earlier today. And I won't go into all the details, but this young man who's going to be a senior for us or is a senior for us, um, last year told the same thing by, by this individual, would have flipped off the handle and would have told her to go, do you know what? Um, but but I, I do take pride in the fact that I think some of what we're doing as a coaching staff, as a program, is, is really taking root in his heart and his mind. And he's growing in ways I don't think he would have if it weren't for football. Um, I, I, so that, that's, I could talk on it forever. I, I, I think uh, not just football, but any sport, if coached correctly, can change lives without a doubt. And you clearly have a passion for coaching football and helping out kids and stuff like that. And you've shown many examples of it. Where does that leadership come from? It, you know, it, it comes from just a desire to, to be – more than than what I, th I think a lot of us just settle for you know i i don't think i am a greater expo coach than anyone else you know matter of fact i know for a fact there are many coaches out there that know the game of football better than i do and i feel like i know the game well i don't feel like i have any special hidden talent um but i do wear my heart in my sleeve and i think when you are transparent with your players and you're transparent with your coaches that allows them to be themselves as well um, and I, I was blessed over the years. I, I have a loving mother and father who, you know, through the good and the bad, and I put them through hell. I put them through the ringer growing up. Um, I was never a bad person, but I'll, I'll say very openly that I, I was arrested many times for fighting. I, I used to get into a lot of trouble and I wasn't a bad kid, but I just made a lot of bad decisions. Um, I had loving parents. I had loving 
aunts and uncles and coaches and teachers. And it's funny that there's no one individual in my mind that sticks out more than another as far as who kind of molded who I am. But that's a reminder to me that I don't have to be the guy. I don't have to be the man in someone's life. I can be a part of that, a piece of that puzzle in someone's life and just kind of help them kind of figure things out for themselves. Um, it's just, it, I think there's, as which one of you mentioned it, but the world's, you know, social media, there's so much negativity, you know, in the world today. And I think, you know, you can put something out there with the best of intentions and nine out of 10 times, you're going to get knocked down by some for, for what you posted or what you said. Um, I don't think the world will ever be overpopulated with people, male or female, black or white, young or old, who go out of their way to try to empower others. So I, I think the more people we get truly just loving on other people, the better we're going to be. And we need it. You brought up such an interesting point. When you were younger, you just got into maybe that classic little trouble as a lot of kids get, teenagers get, and all that in their teens, 20s, whatever it is. But what made you flip that switch and just completely turn the corner for you? Great question. As, as soon as you start to say that, I can picture in my mind, my mother and father on my shoulder, like jumping on the screen saying, whoa, whoa, whoa this wasn't, wasn't the typical get into trouble stuff. Um, <laughs> man, I, I yeah. Um, for, 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 me, for me, it was a little bit of, a little bit of uh, several things. You know, I, I, I quit drinking when my wife and I got married at 22, simply because I didn't want to be that father that beat his wife and children and then said, oh, hey, you know, dad was drinking. It's not his fault. And you hear too many, you know, stories like that. Um, I, needed, I needed to do a lot of growing up. And drinking, I'm not blaming the drinking for me, um, but uh, there was a direct correlation with the number of times I'd go out and have too many and the number of times I'd get arrested. Um, so what I, I chose to do for me was I, I quit drinking um, when my wife and I got married and really thought about what type of father and husband I wanted to be, what type of teacher and coach. Uh, well, I wasn't a, a coach yet at that time, but really what made me change was growing up and looking around people people around me that were happy in life, um, successful in life. And one of the greatest people I've ever known, my uncle Bernie, who had passed away, he's passed away about 10 years ago now or so from cancer, but he was born in Mexico, one of like 14 children. His father died when he was super young and the most blue collar, hardworking, quiet human being I've, I've ever met, had a strong faith and testimony, um, but was just someone that just kind of practiced what he preached. He, he just was a loving person. So I started to look around more at people that I respected and looked up to and tried to kind of look at what they were doing with their lives, you know, and he was someone that always, he always had a beer in his hand. You know, he was always drinking, but I never saw him drunk. I, I never heard him say something or do something that and he shouldn't have. And that wasn't me. I, I was that person that had too many and, and did a lot of things I shouldn't have. Um, and I, I share often with the players, I'll go into stories, you know, or not stories, but examples with players that are struggling with their with their behavior in class or in the around town you know one of the fights i got into was with three three police officers and it was a felony for each police officer so i had three felonies at one point in my life and a lot of stuff had to happen for that stuff to kind of work itself out and and for for bills to be paid and, and dues and debts to be paid and all that stuff um but i'm a firm believer that people can change you know, and, and I think it's, it's so easy for coaches to write off or teachers or adults to write off, quote unquote, troubled youth. Um, and, and I wasn't troubled. I was just stupid. I just made a lot of stupid decisions. 
Um, but I'm a firm believer that we can all change if given the opportunity um, and, and given the, t the tough love, you know, and having people that love you enough to say, hey, I love you. However, this isn't going to continue. And then I want to go into more like what are your core values that you really instill into your fourth grade kids and also into your football program? What's some of the core values that you preach to them? Yeah, I, I think one of the first one would be love, you know, just, just, and it sounds so cliche, but I, I think it's so under underplayed, if you will. Um, love what you do, love the people you're with, you know, love, love, have a love for life, you know, I, there's nothing I, I love greater than when I meet someone and, you know, for the first time and they just light up the room and you just, you don't even know them yet, but there's just something about them that just makes the room and everyone around them better. Um, I, th I think love, I think, you know, the, I hate to say typical, but the hard work, you know, showing up and, and giving your all and out competing everyone around you. Um, that's something we talk about taking pride in what you do as as a i always tell my fourth graders and this is the, in the very beginning of the school year i'm like i do not care about your grades and you can see them all sitting in their chairs like wait a minute they've never heard this from a teacher before I'm like i don't i will never care about your grades i care about you i care about your learning but i don't care about your grades because the grades will work themselves out um and it's it's along the same lines with our players we tell them to trust your process I don't care what your height, your weight, your speed, all that is. You keep showing up day in and day out. You put in the work, you love those people around you, and you compete like it's, it's your last day on this earth. Um, you're going to get there someday. And there is different. Oops, sorry about that. There is different for all of us. You know, for some of us, there is division one. For some of our players, there is to be suited up on a Friday night wearing the varsity jersey. Um, so, so I, I think the values are, are, are different for all of us. You know, I, I used to think, you know, in the lines of values, I used to think that character, not character, but culture rather, was some mission statement or some slogan, you know, slogan or logo you put on the wall, in the weight room, or in the locker room, or a t-shirt. And those are all great. But I've learned, especially being at Coronado, where we have uh, North Island, the, the naval base, we have families coming and going all the time. So sometimes you might have a stud move into town and next year they're gone. Their mom or dad were transferred somewhere else. And so this has really been a blessing and opening my eyes to the fact that culture and core values, if you will, where I'm kind of bringing the two together, it's a living organism. You know, I think it's got to start from the top, you know, and I think the greatest way to destroy team culture is to have a coaching staff, head coach and everyone else. I actually say everyone else, everyone else, um, that doesn't practice what they preach. And I've been on coaching staffs before that they say one thing to admission, they say one thing to parents, but when the, no one else is around, it's a completely different person. And, and the kids see through that. They're, they're, they're not stupid. Um, I think culture as a living organism is something where it starts at the top, trickles on down to the bottom, and then starts growing back up from, from the bottom. You know, and we hear this all the time, but I'm a firm believer of it when players start correcting each other on their language or players start telling each other to rack their weights or, Hey, that's not how we do things here at Coronado. That's when you really get to sit back a little bit as a coach and say, Hey, this person's getting it, you know? Um, and it kind of tie, ties in what, you know, Chris had mentioned or asked earlier, as far as, you know, when I said relationships or what it's all about um, my, my answer years ago as a head coach 
as to the question, how long it takes to build a successful program, I would have stamped a one to three year mark on that, on that question. And now it is one relationship at a time. If, if Greg, if you're part or Greg are part of our program and I can get you to believe what we're doing and change some of your habits and do things a little bit different and you pour into Chris, that, then that, that's like a wildfire that just keeps spreading, you know, and it's, it's uncontrollable in, in a very positive way. And something very interesting in your background too is you went to Plymouth State University, you did play football there and your minor in college was art. Yes, what sir. got you into art? And I know you won a few awards with that, but what got you into minoring in art at the college level? Yeah, it's, uh, I've always had a passion for art. It's always been something I really enjoyed. Um, and I didn't want to, uh, I loved working with children with special needs. Uh, still do love working with children with special needs. Um, but I bet the decision back then was I knew I wanted to be an elementary school teacher. So that was my major elementary education. But I had also taught, did my homework a little bit and talked to a lot of people. And they said, if you're in um, special education, you spend most of your career doing, you know, paperwork. IEPs, 504s, and all that stuff. Um, and I, I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a big fan of paperwork. So uh, I admired in art. And just like anything else in life, I think, I think college is great for certain people. You know, I, I know for me, I had to do it because I wanted to become a teacher. Um, but just like anything else in life, you know, once you get into your field, whatever that may be, I feel like most of us learn more in that first six months to a year than any college course could ever teach us. Um, so art was a great minor to have, but since that time I've painted, uh, murals on people's walls, ceilings, homes, businesses, whatever. And it's just, I enjoy it a lot, but it's also something that's nice to, when my players see it, you know, whether they see it on Instagram or Twitter or whatever it is. Um, I think it's a good representation for them that you don't have to be that stereotypical dumb jock football player or coach. You can be someone that loves, I tell them, I, I teach fourth grade and paint murals. There's nothing manly about either of, the, either of those things. Um, but I'm a, not a different person. I'm, I'm kind of a amped up person on the football field. Um, but I'm passionate about all three. And I, I think it's important for our young men and young women to see that you can have many passions in life and, and be successful at, at several different things. And where does that creativity come from for you? And how much does being an artist and that creativity help you when it comes to teaching and coaching? Te teaching, it helps out all the time because kids love it. And, you know, I, I so often I will, I will incorporate the artwork into our, our lessons. And that's really a great draw for them to, you know, they're looking at a fun art project. And then after we do this thing called picture writing, which I did not invent, I don't remember who, who created it. But where we draw, students draw beautiful pictures. And I give them about 40 minutes just to draw a beautiful picture. And then when they're done, about, then when, when they're done with the picture, they start writing about it. And it helps them to bring out the detail in their writing and all that stuff. So it ties in, ties in really well. Uh, the creativity, I think the greatest thing that my artwork helps me with as far as teaching and coaching is understanding that there are layers to everything. You know, as an artist, when I'm painting a mural, um, starting in the foreground, working or the background rather, working to the foreground, and there are little minute details that I put in it that most people that see that piece of artwork will never even notice. Um, I did a, uh, a 500 square foot mural back in New Hampshire years ago uh, with life-size Native Americans and cacti and all this different stuff, and 
my wife came by one day to, to bring me lunch and she said, Hey, do you want me to help? With it? Um, and she, she's the first one my kids go to who are all, our kids are all young adults now, but when it comes to like technology or fixing the car or whatever, like she knows so much more about so many things than I do, but when it comes to artwork, that's not her forte. But uh, I said, yeah, take this one little paintbrush and just do little, you know, little details on, on the cactus here. And she's like, no one's even going to notice this. I'm like, no, but, but I will, I'll, I'll notice it. And it does, it adds to all of it. And I think that applies to teaching also and coaching because there's so much of what we do that people that sit in the stands on a Friday night have no idea the little intricacies of that mesh point with the quarterback and the running back and that first step by the quarterback and where the quarterback's eyes are going to be. But it's the little details and all the layers that make that picture or that program what it needs to be. And then, so you grew up on the East Coast, and then you went to Plymouth State University. What was it about coming to West Coast and then San Diego and Coronado that you wanted to come over here? And what was the interest? Yeah, the, the, it was something where my our oldest daughter had come out to San Diego State, so we had visited a few times and loved it. I mean, how can you not love the the weather here? We never gave any serious thought about moving across country to, to San Diego until we had our grandson. So we uh, we flew out here to see our grandson and and I looked at each other and he, he's fine now, has no issues, but there were some problems, complications with the birth. So he was in the Radies Children's Hospital. Um, and we said, we got to be out here. We, you know, this is great. Doing, doing Zoom or, or Skype or FaceTime stuff with, with podcasts is a lot of fun. But it's, it's different when it's your grandson. You know, you, you want to have a relationship like this with your grandson. So we, uh, we had a one, I had a one to five year plan, one to three year plan of, of kind of getting out here, making money and networking for a job. My wife was a little bit more realistic. She was like, you know, three to six year, whatever it was. And uh, six months after making the decision to, to come out here, I had connected with a school that I'm teaching at now and flown out here and interviewed. And the, the, the rest is history. It just, I, I do share with our, our team, we had, we had left a place in New Hampshire that we knew essentially everyone we had been there for years raised our kids there small town new england and we knew nothing about san diego we knew no one out here why would we move you know we, we were i was a, i was a head coach of a program in bedford new hampshire that we had just been to the state championship three out of the last four years we had 144 players in our program so not i but we the staff and the community had built something special it didn't make sense to move the cost of living is greater out here the politics are crazy, um, but it, the, our why was family. You know, I, I can coach anywhere, I can teach anywhere. The draw for us was to be closer to our grandsons. And as it is now, our, our four kids are out here with us and our two grandsons live two and a half miles down the road. So we're blessed. And everywhere you've gone, you, your staff community have built successful programs. You mentioned New Hampshire, three state title appearances, all that in a four year span. You went to the state championship at three different divisions there in New Hampshire. Then you go to Coronado, have success as well in the San Diego region. How have you and the community, the kids, everybody been able to build sustained cultures and successful programs like you have, not only on the football field, but also off the football field? In addition to the, to, to the board relationships, because I, I really do think it all stems back to that, building relationships with parents, with administration, with, with obviously the student athletes, consistency. Um, once again, I'm guilty of this, but 
you know, how, how do we, we all know how to get in shape. We know what we should eat, what we should eat, what we should drink, what we shouldn't drink, how often we should exercise and rest our bodies. And I think way too many people dedicate three months, six months or a year to getting in shape. And then they just sit back and expect it to continue. And slowly it fades away. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I have to keep on top of this. I think it's the same with building a successful program is you need to have the X's and O's in place, you know, have, Hey, this is what we're running for an offense and defense. This is what we're doing with our off season conditioning. This is what I want our culture to be, but then you have to live it every day and it can be exhausting. You know, it just, I, I often say, I don't think coaching is easy at any level, at any position, but I do respectively believe it's a lot easier to be an assistant coach, not easy, but easier to be an assistant than it is to be a head coach. So why, 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 why would someone want to be a head coach? And for me, my answer is control or power. And if, if someone just listens to your podcast and stops there, they're going to think control and power What an arrogant SOB. That guy is full of himself. What I mean by that is I want to have control and power of hiring other men and women who have a passion for people. Because I really believe that I've coached with some people who played at the, in the NFL who are ridiculous athletes who weren't great coaches. You know, they were great athletes, but they weren't necessarily great coaches. And obviously there are those individuals who were at the top of their sport and great coaches. For me, it's all about people. So being a head coach, yeah, there are a lot more headaches, but the greatest blessing is I get to choose who I share those headaches with. I, I get to interview the people that I want to have around our young men and young women and say to them, yes, winning is our goal. It's our number one goal. And then break that down for them and say, I'm not talking about the scoreboard. You know, my first year at Coronado, we only had, gosh, I think we had 47 people in our whole program, freshmen through seniors. It was tiny, tiny, tiny. And we had, I think, 18 players at the end of that year academically ineligible. Mind-blowing. That's the stuff you don't read about. I don't tweet about that stuff. You're like, wait a minute. This isn't cool. Um, so, so one of the things right away out of the gates, though, I shared with our staff and our team was we're going to have weekly grade checks and we're going to have mandatory study hall. If you have below us, you know, 2.5. And we went from a ridiculously high number of players that were academically ineligible my first year to this past season, everyone was academically eligible. So that, that defines winning for me. The scoreboard is a part of it, but it is, how many emails did I get the first year from teachers or administration about players not showing up to class or being disrespectful compared to this year? You know, how many times do we have players that kind of just blew off practice, but we're always feeling good for game day compared to this year. So I think there's so much, so many different pieces, you know, going back to your question, Chris, tying the artwork into it, pieces that don't necessarily get seen by mom or dad or, or the student body in the stands. Um, but go into building a successful program is, is loving what you do, having a clear mission and then being consistent and not letting up on that. And I, and I've been guilty of, it. I'll be the first one to say, there have been times where I'm like, man, why is this happening? And I look back at the things that I've laid out and I'm like, man, I've been slacking in this one area or these two areas. And it kind of have to kick myself in the butt to get back on track. And with the let us play movement, going up and down California. It's a big thing right now for all students. They all want to get back on the field. Coaches want to get their kids back on the field. And you've kind of touched on this throughout the whole podcast, but how much are you guys preaching and helping with mental health right now? So your kids. Yeah, it's, 
It's huge, you know, and, and, and I do, you mentioned a little bit, Greg, off, off, uh, off air, so to speak, you know, but I talk about mental health often. Um, in some ways, I think I have no right in talking about mental health because I'm not certified in, in anything as far as mental health. I, I, I've never claimed to be, but I do have family members and friends, the closest people in my life who have been through and do struggle with things on a daily basis. So I, I don't think that makes me any more qualified, but I think too many people shy away from even having the discussion. So I think one of the things we do with our players, we just, in addition to saying, hey, I love you, is I, I try to remind our players and our coaches daily that if the only thing we do is show up to practice and become a better football team, we're failing each other miserably. You know, to check in with each other and, and to call those, those teammates and, and to reach out to those fellow coaches. Um, it, it's such a touchy subject with the let us play because the, the, the country's divided as far as what's going on right now in the world. And, and I don't know what the right answer is. I don't have the right answer. I know my feeling is that football, high school sports, not just football, are essential. Being in the classroom, in my opinion, is essential. Um, and, and I've gotten a lot of hate of that, you know, for, for that and social, social media saying I'm just a Neanderthal dumb job coach that just wants to play and yell at kids and and I don't respond back to those because that couldn't be farther from the truth. But we, we've, we've seen way too many people in all types of programs, all walk of life, um, who their only way out is through high school sports. You know, for, for me, high school sports are what got me to college. It wasn't my teachers. And my teachers were great. But I love football. And the reason I say it got me to college, I, I played Division three, so I didn't have a scholarship. But the desire to keep playing football and be academically eligible forced me to do well academically enough to get into college and to know I want to do something else. Um, I think it's important for us as coaches to share our feelings, share our beliefs, but not to shove them down our players' throats and, and try to have those open, open conversations with them as well. And I, I, I try with every practice we have to pull one to five players, depending on how long the conversations are, aside and just say, hey, come here for a second and just talk to them. Like, how are you doing? And the typical answer 99% of the time is I'm good coach. And I'll ask him again, how are you really doing? And then you can see him kind of take a deep breath and say, I'm okay. Or they'll say not that good. So I, and I think just that alone, so often I don't have the answer for our players and that's okay. I don't think we have to as coaches, but for our players to go home and be like, well, coach really cares about me. And he took the time. He asked me, I answered him. He asked me again. I answered him again. And Hey, 20 minutes later, we had a conversation that really got to the core of some things going on. Um, I also think that there's a danger with all this, this let, it, let them play and this that's going on is too often we look at young men and young women in the inner cities and we think they need this. Coronado kids, they don't need this. They have million dollar homes. They don't need this. And I think there's a lot of danger in that because there, there is drug abuse, there's neglect, there is mental abuse, physical abuse, you name it. I don't care if you're from a million dollar home or you're sharing an apartment with three other families. Um, that, that stuff hits all of us. And I think sometimes in the, in the sports world, that big, strong athlete, male or female, or that coach, we feel like we have to show that strong exterior all the time. Hey, I'm fine. I got this together. So this doesn't shake me. And it does. I think it shakes all of us. And I think for our players to see us going through the same things they are and being transparent about it, I think it can really – bring life to them and help them kind of breathe a little bit easier and know that they're not alone. 
Because I think so often we, we think we're, we're the only ones battling with what we're going through. And just talking more about sports, how important are sports to individuals, kids? What kind of impact have you seen sports have on a kid's life? And what kind of impact can sports even have just have on a kid's life, not only in their playing career, but when they're done with playing and as they go into being young men and women, fathers, mothers, and, and going into their careers as well down the road? Yeah, I, I think that there are a term I use often is jack wagon. There are those jack wagon coaches out there who use their student athletes, you know, who, who don't who don't understand the platform we have as coaches. But for the great majority, and I really do believe it's the great majority of coaches out there that understand how blessed we are to coach and to coach human humanized people. Um, it's life changing. It's it's paramount. You know, it's just athletics. Um, I, I had a young man, I'll be careful with this one here, and I don't think he listens to my podcast, but uh, currently our program now, tell me a while ago that he was diagnosed with something, and I, I don't, I'll be vague with this, but he was diagnosed with something and just took, took my breath away when he, nothing, nothing life-threatening, but as he's telling this to me, I thought to myself, wow, he, he has enough courage to even share this with me, some real, it was some really heavy, heavy stuff, so after about an hour conversation with him after practice one time, I remember looking at him and saying, hey, if, if you if you are not well enough, not physically, but mentally, because of what he's dealing with, to play, please understand I always want you part of this program. And he started to cry. And he's like, that was my biggest fear. He just wanted to be part of the program. If he couldn't strap on the pads, he wanted to be able to show up and say, I'm a Coronado Islander. I'm part of this team. I think sports can take a stud athlete and help them to learn humility and patience and care and togetherness and selflessness. And I love from our stud players that are helping out the, the lesser athletes, that lesser people. And then it can take the, the individual like I just talked about, knows he'll probably never be a starter on JV, but he's part of something greater than himself. Um, it, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it's, um, and, and I'll share this really, really quickly. I had in, in all my years coaching, my first year at Coronado, I kicked a young man off the team. First and only time. And I hope it'll be the last time. Um, I was a mess. I was like a 13-year-old schoolgirl, snot bubbles, crying afterwards in the coach's office. Um, it, it was just a lot of things happened, but coaches that had been part of Coronado for years, who, who knew this young man for the first three years, said, Coach, it had to be done. You know, he, he had been doing this for years. He was always allowed to get away with it because he was such a stud. Um, I, was, I was heartbroken. It, it, it had to be done. I reached out to he and his mother a few days after I kicked him off the team and uh, preface the conversation, conversation by saying, I'm not asking you to come back to the team. You will not be a part of our program again because of what he, the things he had done. I said, but would you be willing to meet? So he and his mom came in, we had a good meeting. Hadn't seen him for years, uh, two or three years, and saw him just about three or four months ago uh, during a practice. He was playing basketball. And I look over and he goes, Coach Hines came over and gave me the biggest hug. Now, this is a young man I had to kick off the team. And he goes, oh, my gosh, dude. And he goes, sorry, coach. I'm like, that's right. Come whatever you want. He goes, dude, I'm in college now. And he started telling me about his savings, all these different things. And then he looked at me and he started getting teary-eyed before I did this time. And he goes, coach, he goes, you kicking me off the team was the best thing anyone could have done for me. And he said that to me. And I'm like, what? I said, that was the hardest thing I had to do. What are you talking about? He goes, I was always that good that no one challenged me. People always let me get away with whatever I wanted to do. He's like, there's no way I would have my life on track now. And he gave me way more credit than I deserve. And I, and I made sure that he knew that, that his life is where it is right now because of him. 
but I knew I had a small piece in that. Um, I, I think if done with love, uh, once again, regardless of the uh, sport we coach or the age level we coach, um, if done with love and you build relationships, you're going to change lives for the better, uh, regardless of what the season outcome is. And you talked about all these moments of, you know, you helping kids and giving all these kids their, your love and saying that you love them. Selfishly, how does it make you feel helping all these kids and seeing them succeed as well? Yeah, great question. You know, it, it is funny. I, I think it's the best kind of selfishness, if you will, because sometimes I do feel guilty about it. I'm like, wait a minute, am, am I doing this just because I feel good about it? But it does. I, I feel good every time I leave practice. You know, I, I love when we, I hate losing. Preface with that, I hate losing. But, but I, I love when we lose a game and I can see one player lifting up another player, literally or figuratively, um, where I can see people doing the right thing. It's how great would the, would the world be if we all kind of got that high off building up, you know, building up other people? You know, if we all had that rush of, of just saying, you know, my, my one goal today is to go out there and be a blessing to someone else. And, and I'm, I'm blessed with the jobs I have as a teacher and a coach to have that opportunity every single day. There are days I fail. There are days I come home, I'm like, you know what? I saw that little kid in my class struggling a little bit. I helped him, but I could have done more. Or and without a doubt, you know? Um, but that, that, that's what gets me going. That, that's what lights, lights the fire in me is because I realize I'm making a difference. I, I believe I'm a great coach. I believe I can be a lot better. There's no doubt about that. Um, but man, if God takes me home tomorrow, I don't want to say today, but tomorrow, uh, I, I feel like I've lived a, a life that's a life of purpose. You know, when, when you're blessing other people, for me, that's what it's all about. And you've done all these things for kids, helped kids within your programs, but something about you too is pretty much everybody knows who you are now, right? You see your social media following, your website, all these other things. You're now popular speaker, motivational figure, coach, teacher, whatever it is. How did you become just such a popular figure across America, across the world nowadays? And do you ever expect something, anything like this? Definitely never expected it. And uh, I've shared this many times on on different, uh, great question. Um, I, being an elementary school teacher, football coach and artist, if you will, Facebook and Instagram made sense to me. I can connect with people, share my artwork, whatever. When Twitter came out, I wanted nothing to do with it. And my wife, the one who was like, just get on Twitter, because she comes to every one of our games, did back in New Hampshire and does here in California. And I would call her when we were getting on the bus from an away game. She'd be home already watching the news. And I'd be like, hey, who won this game or who won that game? And she's like, just get on Twitter. You, you can find out. So that's the only reason I ever got on Twitter. Um, and then for whatever reason, I, I remember posting a video one time that kind of resonated with a lot of people. And, and it grew. Um, it's, it's funny because it's not something I ever planned on and, and all the speaking engagements that have come from it. You know, my wife and I were, were so blessed. Just a few months before COVID happened last spring, I was asked to speak for uh, ADT Securities in the Bahamas. And I got a private message on Twitter by, from some guy that said, hey, we want to fly out to the Bahamas to have you speak. And it almost seemed like one of those emails we all get that says, hey, I'm from Uganda. I want to put money into your account. You know, just give me your bank statement. So I, I almost didn't respond, but I, I, I do respond to everyone. So I was like, just shoot me an email at, at this, you know, this account, whatever. And it just so happened. So when I was doing a conference call with uh, Doreen is his name and, and, and one of his coworkers, 
I said, Hey, I'm just curious. Why me? You know, I'm a high school football coach and, and I know we've had success and I've had success as a coach, but there are a lot more prep, you know, predominant, successful, high, you know, figure programs out there that, than, than ours and, and than me. And they just said they wanted the people that they are talking to ADT securities want to talk to someone or hear from someone that is living what they're doing. He said, most of our business owners are former athletes. And if they're not former athletes, they are all competitive in what they do. Um, and it was pretty awesome because I was able to share some insights uh, and, and just thoughts with people there in the Bahamas that really resonated with a lot of people, not because of football per se, but just for a passion for people. You know, I think whether it's sales or sports or raising a family, it's my belief if, if you know that the person truly cares about you, period. Not with an asterisk, they care about you and what you can do for them, but truly care about you, that you're, you're gonna be a better teacher, better coach, better parent, business owner, whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's been pretty cool, but I, I will tell you that uh, as my, my social media presence, if you will, grows, there's that much more hate out there also. You know, there, there, there's no doubt. I, I posted a picture just personally, I, and I'm not going to, you know, shove my, my faith down your throat on the podcast here, but just say, hey, we need Jesus now more than ever. And I put a picture out there yesterday. You'll see it on my Twitter if you go there. And a lot of people liked it, but a lot of people were like, just said some really, really negative things about it. You know, a lot of negative things. And I think that that's what you know, as coaches so often, you know, when I first got into coaching, people said, hey, you need to have a thick skin. Well, for, for me, a thick skin kind of builds up a defense. And that's not what I'm about. I, I don't want to build up a wall from other people and have me over here as a coach and everyone else over there. So for me, it's about a strong why. You know, and if, if we know what we're doing, why we're starting a certain player over another, why I'm posting something or whatever it is, a strong why is going to uh, make it easier to deal with all those negative comments out there. And you talked about social media and obviously the negativity of it. And there's always the hated comments and people giving that negativity, but there's also a great positivity to it as well. And can you go into the importance of using as a high schooler for recruiting or social media to connect with other people all around the world and go through like the positivity of what you think social media can use? Yeah, I am. Um... It's funny, when I share a video in my class with my fourth graders, I always uh, have them turn around so they can't see the screen. Because as we all know, you go to show a video from YouTube or a lot of different sites, sometimes those little pop-up videos, it might even just have a woman in her bikini or whatever, but to a fourth grader, that's, I have them going home and saying, they're trying to show pictures of women in their bikinis. Uh, bikinis. Um, but I, I tell our fourth graders and our, our student athletes, in my opinion, social media is just like a loaded gun. In, in the right hands with the right intent, it's gonna do a lot of good and save some lives. In the wrong hands, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt a lot of people. Um, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm a firm believer that you get what you look for. You know, if, if I want to go onto social media and find hate and negativity and, and all this different stuff, I'm gonna find countless accounts of people spewing that hate. If I wanna find positivity and love and, and encouragement, I can find just as much. Um, so for our players, we tell them it's a free platform. You know, you know, Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook, they're free platforms. And as frustrating as it can be for some of us that the owners of those massive companies, you know, kind of dictate what's seen and what's not. And, and 
it still doesn't matter to me. You know, it's just, if you have a message that you want to share with the world, you can put it out there. From a recruiting standpoint, I tell our players, and, and you guys, you've heard this from other coaches as well. You know, I said, have a picture of your face, not, not some emoji or whatever. You know, have, have your real name, first name, last name, height, weight, you know, all that different stuff. Um, and when we have meetings with parents, I tell parents also, because different parents, you know, have different feelings about social media with their children. And I respect that. But I tell them, you know, if your son or daughter want to have, they want to play at the next level they're foolish not to use Twitter as part of that recruiting service, if you will, the free service. And I tell them as parents, you know, have their password, have their, you know, their account information and all that stuff. So you can work on that together. But uh, it's a powerful tool that um, can open a lot of doors. And we've seen, I, I don't remember what college coach I just saw tweeted out something yesterday. I don't know if it was a football coach or basketball. I forget who it was, but something uh, that struck a, co a chord with a lot of people. And he lost his job like that so i think often as we as coaches tell players hey you know don't post anything that your mom your dad your pastor your preacher your grandma wouldn't want you to see we have to remind you know remind ourselves of that as coaches you know all the time as well that the whole world is watching and once you put it out there you might think you deleted it but somewhere someone screenshot it it's it's going to resurface and now are some fun questions we ask everybody we've got right. answers well, rate how good your answer is after you give us this, but what's your favorite ever home-cooked meal? Oh, I've got to say it, bone-in ribeye. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, and, and I got to say it's quiet because my wife's upstairs. Hers is the second best, but we had a friend of ours uh, <laughs> make one one time, and he put it in the oven, on the frying pan, on the grill. And he did more, more work with this piece of meat than I, I've ever seen. And yeah, bone-in ribeye is, is my all-time favorite. Okay. I mean, bone and ribeye, you can't go wrong with that, I don't think. No. Now, what are you getting on the side with the bone and ribeye? Great question. I'm not as healthy as I should be. I should say salad, but uh, I, for bone and ribeye, I don't think you need much. Mashed potatoes, butter, salt, pepper, and, and some nice bread to soak up the juices. That, that's about it. That sounds like a perfect meal to me. Honestly, I think, that's I think that's the best answer we've ever gotten. There you go. Obviously, I'm not talking to vegans. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm big on the mashed potatoes and, and the steaks. Yes, absolutely. And then the next one is, what are your favorite things to do in the San Diego and Coronado area? Uh, love going to the beach. Yeah, um, there's a love Coronado Beach for obvious reasons. Um, but uh, wind and sea beach, uh, it's, it's shore breaks. So you don't have to shuffle your feet. You don't have to worry about any uh, stingrays. Uh, we love, my wife and I love going on hikes. Uh, whether it's potato chip rock or Torrey Pines. I mean, well, one of the greatest attractions for us moving out here, obviously being closer to our grandsons, um, but was th there are dozens of things you can do that don't cost you a dime. You know, with, with the weather year round that it is, you can just hop in your car and within 20 minutes, you, you're, you're just, it's just gorgeous. I know this is a little outside of the San Diego bi bubble, but just uh, two weekends ago, we had gone out to uh, Joshua Tree, and it's just the, the the landscape out here is just so diverse. It's just fantastic. So things to do would be just beach and, and hiking. And then, what about your favorite athletes growing up and your favorite athletes today? I'm a Cowboys fan, so uh, which has been a tough yeah. It's been a tough few years, uh, very tough 2020. Um, 
That being said, uh, one of my favorite football players of all time is Jerry Rice. Uh, and, and simply because I think uh, his numbers speak for himself, but he's just one of the greatest athletes and I love humility. You know, I think especially in today's day and age, you hear a lot of our young men talk about, oh, this player is great. I'm like, yeah, he's so cocky. And they're like, well, he's, he can afford to be. He's that good. And I always like to bring it back to some of the greatest that just, you know, just did their job, just, just loved it, and used their platform for great things. So Jerry Rice is one of, the, one of my favorites of all time. Jay Novacek, not sure if you know him, but he was an old-school tight end for the Cowboys, loved him. Billy Bates was uh, an undersized, if you will, 205, 210-pound safety for the Cowboys that just did massive things. Today, um, you know, it's, it's – I don't know if I have a favorite athlete today. Um, I just love – favorite moments you know and what I mean by that is when you see an athlete do things off the field or on the field that just say yes you know that that's what it's all about and you see them using their platform uh to to go above and beyond what the norm thinks you know them that I love seeing that well, I'd say this podcast was perfect all the way until the, the cowboy fan but you know what <laughs> Albert's answer wasn't good but he saved himself with Jerry Rice there you go. There you go. Oh my goodness. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much to Coach Hines from Coronado for coming on. Be sure to follow all of his work, everything on social media. Follow his Coronado football program. Be sure to check out this podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube page. Follow our work on social media, West Coast Preps underscore, and follow our work at westcoastpreps.com. I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. Uh-huh.